Well, happy July 4th weekend, Thrive Church. I'm so thankful, and it's awesome that we get to gather uh, together. Again, the gift of technology makes it to where we can gather wherever we are. And today, we're all at the same campus today. We're all with our online campus. So feel free, even while I'm talking, while I'm sharing the message today, chat, connect with the people that you're watching with, comment, like, subscribe, all whatever those things do. But listen, we are wrapping up today, the final week of our series, Different. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been navigating through First uh, Peter, this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to believers that were both Gentile believers, Jewish believers during a time of heavy persecution. Um, and last week, we actually talked about from First Peter chapter 4 how the calling that God has placed in our lives is too massive for us to get so caught up in the small things of life. It's such a great reminder of how just incredible God is compared to any circumstance or situation that we have uh, have or will encounter. So do me a favor, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. And today we're going to talk about kind of um, redefining, if you will, a very specific word, and that is success. Uh, I don't know for you and your context, success is defined differently by every single person. But today, I want to unpack something that uh, kind of will change the game of it, if you will, because I think we have been defining success in a wrong way when you compare it to the life that God has called you and me to live. Uh, for followers of Jesus, success is not the same as defined by our culture, defined by our workplace, defined by our family and our friends. And today, we're going to look at what, again, what Peter said around 6482 to specifically church leaders and the church attenders in these early churches of what leads to success. What is successful in God's eyes? Because eventually and ultimately, that's what matters more than anything else. And again, kind of give us some background, some context. You've probably heard us talk about it uh, every single week in the series. You might even know the history behind First Peter better than any one of your friends of your entire group. But here's what's happening. It's around 64, 65 AD when uh, Peter wrote uh, this letter, and he's writing to Christians that are under extreme persecution. I don't mean that people are like unfriending them on Facebook. I don't mean people are just calling them bad names. People are dying. They're being murdered because of their faith in Christ. Under Emperor Nero, they're being fed to lions. They're being lit on fire, put on wooden stakes as decoration. It is extremely heinous what is, being, what is happening to Christians in this day and time. So as we read this, as we navigate through this, remember, we can take away, we can take biblical principles from these passages, but ultimately, this was who Peter was talking to, he who was writing to, individuals that were in the middle of suffering, Individuals that were in the middle of most likely fearing for their lives at times. So when you read throughout First Peter, and he's talking about counting trials, joy, and, and how our suffering uh, perfects our faith, they are suffering. This is not something that's light. This is not something um, that is something that for them was easy. But what is happening in this letter, Jesus becomes the source and example of strength, that no matter what we're facing, no matter what they were going through, that God is faithful, that God cares for them, that God loves them. So today we're going to read verses 1 through 11 here in chapter 5. And uh, he actually addresses a few different people uh, throughout these 11 verses. So the first four verses, he's actually talking to church leaders. That's right, people like myself. 
So he was talking to church leaders, and then he talks to this younger crowd in the, in the church's audience, and then he addresses everybody. So let's read. We're going to read verse 1 there in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he, revealed, when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, so again, he's speaking to leaders within the church. Now, there are principles and things that he's going to talk about that when he's addressing these leaders that we can still apply. Like, don't tune out. Don't think, oh, well, he's talking about church leaders. I'm not a church leader. No, no, no. Focus in. Lean in. We can still grasp from this. Because the big idea of what we're going to talk through today is the fact that you and I, we cannot have success without serving. We cannot have success in life. We cannot be successful as we follow the Lord unless we are serving. There has to be this capacity of serving taking place. Because like I shared earlier, um, success is defined differently by every person. If we went around the room, if I asked you right now to jump on that chat and write in, you, how do you define success? I guarantee you we're going to have different definitions all the way down the thread. When I, I remember when I used to work at a, a company in Georgia, uh, I managed an office where we sold sinks and, and faucets to countertop companies. Success for me in that job was making sure the inventory was correct and in stock, making sure customers paid their bills, and making sure our sales reps had anything they needed to do their job. If I did those things, oh, I was successful. So it's different. It's different everywhere. I, I used to work in a restaurant. I ran seven deep fat fryers. Oh yeah, the healthy good stuff in this buffet style restaurant in the South. Everything was full of butter and vegetable oil. For me, success was making sure the, fr the food was fresh, making sure the, the buffet line was stocked with all the good stuff. Mm, fried chicken, French fries, fried shrimp. Oh, I remember, I, I, I think I gained weight while I worked there because I just kept eating the entire time. But success changes. You ask your spouse, what is it, how, how are you successful? You ask your boss, you ask your coworker, you ask your employee. How we define success changes depending upon where we are. And today I want to talk about success as it comes to the fact of probably what is the most important, our relationship with the Lord, us serving him, us living our lives devoted to him. How does that look as we walk it out? And as we unpack these passages, there are four different ways that we get to serve God. That if you want to be successful, if you want to look back across the years of your life and think, was I successful in following the Lord? Was I successful in serving the Lord? Well, there are four ways that we are serving. And here's the first way is we got to serve with passion. Serve with passion. And put like passion in all capital letters. Underline it. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Passion. Verse 2, it says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgedly. Willingly. Oh, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Eager. Eager to serve God. And, I, and again, he's talking to church leaders, but this is something that's true for all of us. Listen, it is an honor that we even get to serve God to begin with. That our perfect creator, who formed us, who knows us, who knows the number of hairs that are on top of our head, who knows our innermost being, who knows you better than you know yourself, and we get to serve him, God chooses us to accomplish his will 
So we should be passionate. This should cause us to have joy when we get to serve the Lord. For me, whenever I'm reading in Peter's letters and he's talking about anything concerning shepherding, anything talking about sheep or a flock or anything like that, I think about John chapter 21 when this is after uh, Peter did his infamous denying Christ three times. Jesus has already died. He's already resurrected back to life. And they're having breakfast on the beach eating fish. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I will never eat fish for breakfast. That's disgusting, but that's how they rolled. They had some fish sticks, I guess. And in this moment, Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. This moment, almost like this redemptive moment for Peter to kind of contradict the three times he denied Christ. And as he's writing this, talking about caring for the flock, I think of this, this leanedness, this eagerness. And I love how, I love how Peter writes it, care willingly, not grudgingly. Listen, there are a lot of things in your life and in my life that, we're gonna ha- that we just have to do. Um, no one enjoys paying bills. Uh, most people, we don't enjoy having to go to work every single day. We don't enjoy having to deal with certain things, certain contexts, certain aspects of life, and we do it grudgingly. This is the one area that we get, when we serve the Lord, that we should do so willingly. Not for what we get. It's not about a reward. It's not about this outcome, or if I do this, I get this, but because we are eager to serve God. God, eager, leaned in, focused, prepared, looking for opportunities. Can you imagine, let's, let's take this aspect, again, a shepherd. Can you imagine a, a, a non-eager shepherd having to watch sheep? A bored shepherd, lazy shepherd. Can I tell you this? They're not gonna be a shepherd very long. Their sheep are gonna run away. They're gonna get eaten. They're gonna get injured. They're going to be the worst shepherd ever. Why? Because they are not eager. They are not leaned in. They're not willing. And for you and for me, if we want to have the successful life in serving the Lord, we have to do it with passion. We have to be eager. Again, every single Sunday we gather, we have our serve teams, and they are looking for ways and opportunities to serve every single guest as they come uh, onto this campus. When you're logged on with our online campus, we have online hosts that are wanting to engage and connect with you. Why? Because we are eager. We are willing. We are not serving because we have to. This is not an obligation. No, we get to do this. God has chosen and called us to do this. And because of that, we're going to do it with passion. We're going to do it with eagerness. We're going to do it with excitement because we do not deserve to even get to do this. So if, again, if you want to be successful, serve with passion. Here's the next thing that we're going to talk about. And this is, this, this, actually the next two, they almost piggyback off each other. But the next one is serve with humility. We're going to serve with passion and then we're going to serve with humility. This is what uh, Peter writes here in verses three and four. It says, don't lord it over people assigned to your care. Again, he's still talking to church leaders. He's telling church leaders, listen, don't make it all about, like don't lord say, I'm your leader. I, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own great example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own example. 
So how are you leading by example? What does your life look like? Are you arrogant? Are you prideful? Are you one that is humble? We got to stop looking for different ways that we're going to try to one-up each other. Someone's sharing something. Someone's talking. We're trying to make it all about us, make it all about me. Make it, well, actually, I did that. Actually, you know what? It wasn't them. It was me, 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 me. That's not the point of, again, serving successfully because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about honoring the Lord. It's about being obedient to what he has called us to do. And it makes me think of uh, the fact of the opposite of humility is arrogance. The opposite of humility is pride. It's thinking that we have it all together, thinking that we're perfect, or it's trying to, as he said, they're lorded over them with this arrogance. And I've noticed something. As I was prepping for this and I was thinking about the opposites of humility compared to arrogance, I learned that humility tends to draw people in. You know, when there's someone that's, I don't mean fake humility, people can like manufacture, I mean genuine humility, it tends to cause people to actually want to be around them, to want to be drawn into them, to know them. And then arrogance and pride do the opposite. It pushes people away. And there are people in your life, if, if you're right now, even for me, there are three people that come to mind that automatically, oh yeah, yeah, they don't draw people in. They're definitely pushing people away. They're, they're arrogant. And if you don't know anyone in your life like that, there's a chance, there's a chance you might be that person. But it makes me think of this movie that came out in the 80s called The Great Outdoors with Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. So you got these two families, they're coming to stay in this cabin uh, together, begrudgedly, to be honest with you. And you have John Candy, who's like just this normal, average Joe guy, and Dan Aykroyd plays this character where he is super arrogant and prideful, and he lords it over. He brags about himself. He talks about all the great things and all this stuff. And you can see moments throughout the, the movie where John Candy, it's like all, everything within him just to not just, just completely blow him up. That is why I feel like, again, when we're following the Lord, if we're, we have to do so with humility. We can't be arrogant. We can't be bragging. We can't be trying to one-up one another. Listen, if you want to make impact for the gospel, we have to remember it's not about me. If you want to make impact for what God desires, we have to be humble. We can't make it about ourselves because it's about what God wants. It's about what God desires. And it says, and when the great shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And specifically, most scholars are, you know, writing that in verse 4, Peter is referring to Christ and his return. And in this moment, that is the reward. It's not in the now, it's in eternity. So as we serve with passion, as we serve with humility, we are living this successful life. And it's okay if you're like, again, the way that God defines success is not going to be the way our world defines success. It's not going to be the way our bosses or our, our, our bank accounts are trying to fatten up our retirement or sail off in a, in a yacht when we hit a certain age. It's serving the Lord with passion, serving the Lord with humility. And the third thing which piggybacks off of humility is serving with submission. Serve with submission. And this is difficult because the second we hear the word submission, the second I hear submission, I want to do the opposite, which is rebellion. I want to do my own thing. Don't you tell me what to do. Uh-uh, this is my boat. This is how I roll. This is what 
Peter is saying, and he shifts here from talking to church leaders to younger individuals and then also the entire church. Says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. That's difficult. It's difficult when you have to, again, they piggyback off each other. For us to be, to be able to submit, we have to be humble. So we have to humble ourselves and then we have to submit. It says, all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. So for us, when he, again, as he's using this word humble and humility, it goes interchangeably with how we are to submit, how we're, uh, how we're supposed to conduct and live our lives. Because again, he says, God opposes the proud. So even God hates arrogant people. Just again, as I was sharing earlier, we kind of like want arrogant people to leave us alone because they're obnoxious and annoying. They annoy God too. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And to submit means just to willingly, basically uh, be led by someone else, to be willingly poured into by someone else. And one of the most beautiful depictions of this is in John chapter 13, uh, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, again, your feet may stink, my feet probably stink, but I guarantee you they stink nothing compared to the disciples on this evening. Because see, for them, they walked everywhere. They didn't get to drive in cars. They may have got maybe ridden a horse or a donkey, but for the most part, they walked everywhere. That meant, again, they didn't have cool closed-toe shoes. It was most likely these sandal-type uh, footwear. So they're walking through poop. They're walking through mud. They're like, their feet are disgusting. Absolutely. So it's customary for their feet to be washed. But Jesus, again, changing and humbling himself, washed their feet. And Peter actually tried to resist, like, uh-uh, don't you do that, Jesus. That's, you ain't supposed to do this. But he did. And he showed this incredible aspect of humility, of, a lot, of, of agreeing and seeing the opportunity and serving the people, the disciples that were there in a way that put him on what would be like low on the totem pole. For him to wash their feet, to clean this poop, clean the mud, clean the dirt. And it was an intimate moment. It wasn't just something that was, again, glazed over. For them, their leader, to humble himself to that level of service. And submitting, it also reminds me of Peter again. Jesus is talking about the coming, uh, his torment, his torture, his death. And uh, Peter says, no, that is not the way it's going to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be, Jesus. And, and Jesus calls Peter the devil. He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, listen, if I called, if you told me something, and I called you the devil, you'd be finding another church. You wouldn't be hanging out here. But Peter came under Jesus' teaching. He came under his leadership, even after such a heinous moment as that. And he says that we are to submit ourselves to who? To what? To Keith? No. To Kevin? No. To submit ourselves under the mighty power of God. Him. Why? Because he's all powerful. He, Peter even writes says, to give our cares and our worries to the Lord because he cares for us, because he can handle them. 
He can handle the nitty gritty. Again, listen, you may try to hide your worries and the things that you're anxious about from other people and try to put on a mask like you have it all together, but God knows you. God knows what breaks your heart. God knows what's, what's upsetting you, what you're anxious about, what you're nervous about. And Peter's saying that we can cast our cares and worries on him because he cares for us, because he loves us. And again, keep in mind the context of what's happening here. These are individuals that are under extreme persecution, torture, fearing for their lives. And Peter is saying to take your worries and give them to God. Give them to him. And I have trouble just giving him my anxiety, and yet they're having to give the fear of their lives But the good news is, is that God can handle our worries. God is bigger than our circumstances or situations. God is stronger. God is wiser. He is more gracious. And it's because of that that we can give him our cares, give him our worries. So to live this life that God has called us To live, we have to serve with passion, serve with eagerness, serve with humility, serve with submission, which is still so difficult. And the the fourth thing is that we have to serve with prayerful caution. Prayerful caution. Verse 8, it says, stay alert. It's got an exclamation point. You got to read the grammar, people. Read the grammar. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When I was in uh, ministry college, uh, I had a professor named Dr. Tony Moon. Anytime he read this passage, he physically got down on the ground and crawled around like a lion, and he would hide behind the desk acting like he was looking for someone to devour. It was the most incredible thing that I'd ever witnessed in life, and let me help you again. I'm not going to crawl around and act like a lion, but sometimes I feel like we forget that we have an enemy. We can get so wrapped up in the goodness of God, so wrapped up in his grace and his perfection and his plan for our life and his care for our lives that we forget that we have an enemy that's out to kill and destroy us. And here again, Peter is reminding these Christians of that. And I think it's rather interesting that he uses this image of the lion. Um, Purely because, again, under Emperor Nero, there were Christians being fed to lions for sport. So there's so many parallels to what they're experiencing and what Peter is describing right here. Satan is looking for someone to devour, ways to lead you astray, ways to distract us from what God has called us to do, ways to minimize our effectiveness, ways to tempt us into sin. He's looking for ways to destroy the work of God in us and through us. And the sad part is because we forget that we have an enemy, we let our guard down. We think that we're good enough. We think we're strong enough. And we get devoured. So we have an enemy. What do we do? Peter, tell us. What do we do? Verse 9 says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Again, he's talking to a persecuted church. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. When the enemy comes, a lot of times we have like this choice to make. We can give in or we can get out. 
But my hope, my prayer in reading this is that not just that we get out, but that we lean into the Lord, that we lean into his safety. Again, it says we can cast all of our cares and our worries on him because he cares for us. When we experience the enemy, we experience Satan, the devil, his demons, when we experience this spiritual warfare taking place, we need to recluse into the firm foundation of the Lord because he cares for us. He is bigger than whatever plan the enemy has for us. And he can give us guidance. He can give us wisdom. He can lead us through it. We do not have to go through it by ourselves. Stand firm and resist him. See, it's in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. So we're aware of this enemy. We're gonna be prayerfully cautious. We have to be aware. We can't go walking around just guns ablazing, doing, we need to be wise. And I love this in this next part of verse nine. It says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same suffering you are. You are not alone. Yes, every single, God's for you, God's for you. But did you know that there are individuals in your life that are for you. We are going to go through some terrible times as individuals. We're gonna go through suffering. It's promised to us in scripture, but we can take comfort in knowing that we do not have to do that alone. That there can be people in our lives that we allow them to kind of encourage us to remind us of, of who we are in Christ. That we are not doing this by ourselves. And him, again, he's encouraging these Christians under heavy persecution that they're not alone either. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ. All of us have a function. None of us are better than the other. Right now, my hand is holding up this microphone. My feet are making me stand up straight, so I'm actually in frame. Um, all these things are taking place because my body is working unified to accomplish a sole purpose. And the same is true that if we're, if, again, if, if I were to stub my pinky toe, Okay, I'm gonna protect it. I remember in sixth grade, I was playing basketball. My brother David, he got mad at me and threw, just chunked the basketball straight at me, broke my left thumb, okay? In that moment, everything, my hands, my arm, I was covering this thumb to keep it from being touched by anyone. And I remember my dad, I went to him, I was like, dad, I think we gotta go to the doctor. My, I broke my thumb. He looks at it and then, do you know what he does? He pulls it. He starts to pull my thumb and I punched my father in the chest. Only time I've ever hit my father. I didn't mean to do it, it just happened, it was a reaction. My body was trying to protect my thumb. You see, I want that to happen for you. I want you to have a community of believers, people that you can rely on that when times are tough, when you are hurting, you have people that are gonna fight with you and fight for you. People that are gonna care for you. People that are gonna have your back. That is what the body of Christ is. That is what this body of believers is. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. You're not alone. Be cautious, be aware of that enemy, but be, again, be open and share life with others. In verse 10, it says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ. See, we all love this part. We're gonna share in God's glory, but wait, there's more. So after you have suffered, so we're gonna do that, but we're gonna suffer first. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore support and strengthen you and he will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever, amen. You see in this last little section, Peter actually shifts his phrasing into this, like that of a prayer. 
And God uses suffering, as we've talked about throughout this entire series, it's almost like a theme throughout the entirety of uh, 1 Peter, is that God uses our suffering as a way to perfect our faith, to prove its genuineness. And it says God uses suffering to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us on a firm foundation. He uses our circumstances to accomplish his perfect will. You see, we have to redefine success. Again, it's not about fattening your retirement plan, though cool, that's wise. It's not about making, marking a success is by having a certain amount of money in your bank account. That's cool, that's wise, but that's not the success that we're called to live to as believers, as Christ followers. We're called to serve. We're called to accomplish God's will. We're called to accomplish God's purpose. We're called to serve with passion. We're called to serve with humility. We're called to serve with submission. We're called to serve with this, this prayer for cautiousness of being aware that there's an enemy that wants to destroy the work of God in us and through us. My desire is that as we've been journeying through this letter that was written 2000 years ago, that we know that we are reminded of the goodness of God, that we are reminded of his faithfulness. And we're also reminded that we have a part that we have to play that God allows us to be a part of his will. The apostle Paul, he wrote to believers and he talked about how, um, for those of us that follow Jesus, how we're not our own. It says that we were bought at a price, that price being the death of Jesus. That because of his death and through his resurrection, if we profess faith, that, again, that Christ is Lord of our life, that we believe in his death and his resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. When that happens, our life is no longer ours. My life is no longer mine. The dreams that I had growing up of what I wanted, they don't matter as much because God's vision for my life is greater. Because God's vision for my life, God's vision for your life isn't about you. It's about sharing the gospel. It's about making disciples. It's about impacting the world so that they're impacted for eternity, not just in this temporary life that we all have. So we need to take these these ways of serving, we need to use them almost as like a, as a grading skill. We need to use them as a litmus test to figure out, am I successful? Am I serving with passion? Am I eager? When I come here and serve on Sundays, when it's my time, time to serve, am I excited that I get to be a part of this, someone's journey that day? Or am I just saying, eh, it's just another Sunday? Am I humble and submissive? Or am I always trying to make it about me? Am I always trying to twist things around so that it's, oh, look how incredible Keith is. Oh, Keith has all that in a bag of chips. Oh, let's sing Keith's praises. No. Humble, submissive. Are we being cautious as we serve? Or are we being oblivious to the fact that there's an enemy out to destroy us? We need to be prayerfully aware. That's why it's so important that we find community in, with believers that we can share life with, that we can encourage one another, that we can challenge one another. That's why it's so important to spend time reading and studying and understanding scripture so that we can continue to learn a new ways to how to apply it to our lives. Because again, success can't happen without serving. If you wanna have the life that God has called you to, that God desires for you, that God desires for me, we have to serve in these ways. These have to be a part of our daily lives. And for me, for you, it's impossible for us to do it on our own. Because most days I am not eager. I am passive and I am lazy. 
I try to be humble. I try to be submissive. But again, like I shared earlier, when someone talks about submitting, I want to rebel. I want to push the envelope. I want to push against. And sometimes I forget that there's an enemy out to destroy me. There's an enemy out there to destroy my marriage, to destroy my relationship with my daughter, to be this wedge, to destroy what God is doing in my life. We need to have these active if we're gonna live a life of success in the Lord. And for me and for you, I wanna pray. I wanna pray for you, I wanna pray for myself that God will create opportunity and God will open our eyes of how and where we may be missing the mark in these areas of our lives. So if you would pray with me. God, we are so thankful God, that you allow us to be a part of, of your plan. God, you care for us. You love us. God, you draw us to yourself. God, help us to reshape our thinking of success. That it's not about all these tangible things that will perish in time. But God, success is living obedient to you. Success is serving you with passion. It's serving you with humility. It's serving you by submitting to you. It's serving by being aware of the enemy of our souls. God, I pray that you show us, reveal to us the areas that we're missing the mark. God, I pray that as these areas are shown to us, God, give us wisdom and guidance of how we can better serve you, how we can better live up and live a life that honors you, that pleases you. And as we continue to pray this morning, if you're uh, watching, joining us online today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, I wanna give you the opportunity to make that decision. It says in scripture that it's to believe and to confess, to believe that Christ was God in the flesh, that by his death and his resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins and we can have eternal life. It's to believe that and to confess that. And this morning, just pray this with me. If you wanna make that decision, say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that by your death and resurrection, I'm forgiven of my sins and I'm made whole. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. It's in your holy name we pray, amen.